hard to explain that we've been really at war for the past eight years. And even if there is no hot ongoing artillery actions back and forth each day in Ukraine, still each week or each day we receive messages about people getting hurt or getting killed. A lot of my friends are journalists. I work for multiple outlets. And I think the conversation I've been having in the past months or so is like, will Russia invade Ukraine? Will Russia invade Ukraine? And then, you know, I have like my regular normal friends in Russia who are not journalists and they're like, what war? Everyone, you're listening to The Naked Pravda. I'm Eilish Hart, Medusa's English language news editor, and I'll be your host this week. On today's show, you'll hear from two journalists, one in Ukraine and the other in Russia, about how ordinary people in these two countries are absorbing the increasingly alarming news headlines that seem to indicate that an escalated war could begin at any moment. As you likely know, January 2022 kicked off with a flurry of tense diplomatic talks between Russian and Western officials which are set to continue in the days to come. These talks essentially boil down to Moscow seeking security guarantees and the West trying to deter Russia from launching another invasion of Ukraine. With both Russia and Ukraine making international headlines and the conflict in the Donbass entering its eighth year, I wanted to get some perspective on how Ukrainians and Russians view the prospect of an all-out war. So to get a sense of the mood on the ground in Ukraine, I turned to journalist and media manager Angelina Karyakina, the head of news at Ukraine's public broadcaster and the co-founder of the Public Interest Journalism Lab. I have to say, and I have to start with a simple fact, saying that, uh, I mean, probably every person in Ukraine knows and is quite aware is that the Russian troops has been here just around our country for the past eight years. Lots of them, very, very close and probably eager to get in at any point of time. So knowing that, you have to get used to this thought. And I think the majority of Ukrainians got used to this thought for the past eight years. So now I feel that most of people whom I talk to, they find themselves puzzled, asking each other, do you think we have to feel something else, something different? Do you think we have to get more anxious that that we uh, got to for the past eight years? What I see and what I hear from people is asking one another, are you guys anxious? Are you doing something extraordinary these days? I mean, are you planning on having like a security box or uh, do, do you have any plans on how you're going to move your families or, well, your loved ones in in the Western direction, given any extraordinary scenario. But no one really seems to be doing any of that. And we we feel that we're really expecting some 
let's say, statements or some explanation from our government. But what the government is doing is telling everyone the, the argument that I've started with. The Russian troops has been here around us for the past eight years, and we are quite aware of it. And the only thing we can do is get ourselves prepared military. But on, on the other end, civilian-wise, we need to keep calm and we need to sustain normal life in order to make our economy work, in order, you know, just stay in our sense each day. So what we hear from the government and even for, from the president who has made a statement yesterday, which is 19th of January, he said that there is no reason for us to get more anxious or more aware of anything that we've been. He is arguing that the Ukraine as a state and Ukrainian army is ready for any kind of scenario, and there is no need for civilians to do anything else. But what I feel is that we still have questions. What I feel is that we still, as a media representative, I wonder and I have no answers to my questions, what exactly is being done by the state in order to be ready for, you know, for whatever. Uh, we are trying to talk to the military, we're trying to talk to the local authorities, asking them whether there is any sort of communication, you know, between different lines of, of, of governance. And we don't feel that something extraordinary is happening there. So either it's just super secret Mm -hmm. Or nothing really, you know, extraordinary out of just a regular um, protocol of actions in Ukraine, which is eight years, you know, at war um, with Russia and Russian aggression. Under Russian aggression, something else is happening. I don't know what is the smartest scenario in this case, um, telling everyone to keep calm or doing something. But when you get to the thought that you need to do something, there is... Nothing actually you can do in the face of something that we've been, we've been warned by, by the U.S. authorities, by the intelligence, that there might be a full-scale invasion. I mean, how as a civilian, as, a, as an average person, how possibly you can get prepared to that? So do you think there is a disconnect between how Ukrainians are feeling and how officials are responding to the threat of Russia stepping up its aggression? I wouldn't say exactly that. What we what we see, you know, that the most sensitive thing is economy and and the markets. We don't feel that the economy is responding to, you know, to the ongoing possible or potential invasion. Uh, the economy is so far fine. People are not buying, you know, goods in any extraordinary uh, amounts. What we've seen for the past few weeks is that the, the dollar, the currency exchange jumped a little bit, but not, you know, as, as, as we say, it didn't break any psychological thresholds. So it's, it's, it's more or less in order. We don't see embassies, we don't see international business, foreign business packing their things and leaving Ukraine. Nothing like that is happening. So I would say that Ukrainians are more or less keeping calm. But there are still questions what exactly the state is doing uh, in order to inform, you know, the citizens that it is really prepared or it, it is getting prepared for, for, for anything. Actually, I have to say, I, I don't really 
know and really understand what exactly should be done. But I feel that there should be some sort of, you know, connecting these dots between civilians and military and, and local authorities. I don't know whether something is, is, is happening in, in that sense, whether something is getting prepared in that sense. What we feel and what we hear from some people in the military or around it, that Ukrainian army is mobilized all the time, that Ukrainian army has learned for the past eight years to be prepared, you know, to be prepared to fight at any point of time. And I can easily say that there are lots of young men and women in case of any provocations who would be ready to join local territorial battalions and join join the troops in, in different forms or, you know, forming even new volunteer battalions. I'm glad you started your comments by, you know, reiterating that this war has been going on in Ukraine for, for eight years and a lot of reporting on it falls back on, you know, low level fighting and, you know, the fact that this has sort of turned into a war of attrition and it's very entrenched at this point. So I wanted to ask you what's happening in the conflict zone against the backdrop of all of these international tensions. You see, when, what I also wanted to point out is that when this attention from international community and uh, world media comes to Ukraine with the question, hey, guys, what is happening? You might, you, you might be potentially invaded. There might be a war. It's really hard to explain. We find ourselves, you know, in, in a situation where, where it's hard to explain or remind that we've been really at war for the past eight years. And even if there is no hot ongoing artillery actions back and forth each day in Ukraine, still each week uh, or each day we receive uh, messages about people getting hurt or getting killed yeah, each day. It's something that we've been living with for the past eight years. So it's, you know, when, when the international media approach us with a question, what is happening in Ukraine? Pretty much the same. We're still at hybrid war um, with Russia with casualties coming each day, both civilian and, and military. As to the events in Donbass and the place well, of the ongoing immediate war, uh, so to say, we were still getting messages about people getting killed or, or hurt each day, both civilian and, and military. I wouldn't say something extraordinary is happening in the villages or, you know, around the front line that people are massively leaving those villages. I mean, they're half empty anyway, or that the military, you know, is, is going there. Nothing like that is happening. So we are more or less in the same, in the same situation. But what, what I feel is that with this constant pressure and the Russian rhetorics and, well, it's not actually rhetorics now, it's real troops uh, in real positions with, with real weaponry. It feels like we're pressured, and not only us, but also probably half of the world is, is pressured to make some decisions or to do something that we are pressed to do by Russia. We've heard Russian, so to say, requirements to the NATO. We know what Russia wants Ukraine to do with the Minsk agreements. We know that Russia is pressuring Ukraine to make some steps and... Uh, follow some absolutely unrealistic requirements according to the Minsk agreement. But I don't see that coming. I mean, I, I have no signs that Ukrainian government is going to do something like that. Some 
concessions. I don't feel that Ukrainian government or any Ukrainian authorities are ready to do some concessions just by the mere fact of, of, of the potential invasion. We have been talking to some of the officials, high-rank officials at the office of the president, and we have been asking this very uh, question whether Ukraine might, might do some concessions in the face of, of the potential invasions. We've heard uh, no, that the, the red lines are quite clear to all Ukrainians. NATO, of course, is in Ukrainian constitution and requirement that the Russian troops leave Ukrainian territory before the elections on the temporary occupied territories is one of the red lines as well. To follow up on what you're saying about kind of the diplomacy that's going on and Russia's demands to NATO, there's been a lot of diplomatic talks aimed at kind of de-escalating the tensions. But Ukraine hasn't really had a seat at the table. Russia seems really intent on negotiating with the U.S. and with NATO. But at the same time, we've heard Zelensky and members of his administration repeatedly float the idea of direct talks between Russia and Ukraine. Is this something that there's support for domestically? It's it's a political question. In order to have, you know, in order to have a real we need to we need to take a look at polls and see whether the society is supporting that. I know firmly that the society is supporting peace and we know that, you know, peace requires talks in any way. President Zelensky has been quite frank and I think clear for the for, for the whole time that he wants negotiations and he, he, he's ready for that. We also heard from the officials that uh, Ukraine initiated three lateral talks, having the US, Russia and Ukraine at the same table. And we've heard yesterday from the head of the presidential office in Ukraine that um, US Secretary Blinken is quite eager to help organize this trilateral uh, meeting. I don't know whether that's possible, whether that's an option for, for Mr. Putin. But anyway, there's, there's a proactive position by Ukraine to, to have talks in, 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 any, in any disposition. We are also looking forward. We've heard that there's supposed to be a meeting between the councillors of the Normandy Four. And it is supposed to take place at the end of the month. It was agreed by France, Germany and Russia seems to be eager to have this meeting as well, but we'll have to see whether it takes place and whether, whether the Russians show up at all. So yesterday, President Joe Biden gave a speech where he, you know, he predicted that Putin will move in, as in like further invade Ukraine. And then he proceeded to say that a minor incursion as opposed to, you know, a full scale invasion would cause quarreling within NATO about how to respond. And um, the White House released a statement pretty quickly trying to clarify things and allay concerns. But of course, Biden's comment was already out there. Can you speak to how this statement has been received in Ukraine? I think Ukraine is quite used to the statements regarding NATO accession that not all, not all of the NATO members are eager to have Ukraine there. But what we see, for the, what we have seen uh, and witnessed for, for the past few weeks of this you know, in, in the face of this potential invasion, is that the world seems to be quite united in supporting Ukraine. I think that I see that Ukrainians react very, very positively to the statements that even without any firm promises from NATO, we still feel support by separate NATO members 
and also by separate states, for example, Great Britain and, and the US itself, I mean, financially, weapon-wise. So I, I think that Ukrainians really feel this support. The only thing is that many question uh, the mechanism of sanctions. And there are lots of questions out there whether we will be needing any sanctions after the invasion. I mean, whether Ukraine will care about sanctions after the possible invasion. So many are asking whether there's an instrument to provide sanctions for, for the mere, you know, intention, which is also an act of psychological pressure, which is also, you know, a damaging act, obviously. We also, you know, that Ukraine have witnessed a massive cyber attack in mid-January, and there's an investigation, an ongoing investigation, who is behind it, who is exactly, which group is exactly uh, behind it. And maybe, and we hope that the, the outcome of this investigation will also bring some very solid instrument on the table in, in that regard. In a recent article for uh, SIPA, an American think tank, two Russian journalists wrote about how the prospect of an all-out war with Ukraine hasn't provoked, you know, the same degree of pushback from Russian liberals as the 2014 annexation of Crimea did. And they made the argument that this is a result of Russian civil society losing touch with Ukrainian civil society over the past seven years. So I wanted to ask you, is the lack of pushback and outcry from Russian civil society something that surprises Ukrainians or bothers Ukrainians at this, you know, particular juncture? It's a very good question. I mean, I still, I mean, it's, it's something that I would also like to discuss with my colleagues and friends. It's a hard question. There's quite, I don't think it's surprising for the majority of Ukrainians. I think that the fact that support to Ukraine was so little, I mean, the public support for Ukrainians was so little and for, for the majority of Ukrainians that it's hard for them to say, sometimes I find it hard to give an argument that there are lots of Russian colleagues from the civil society, human rights activists and journalists who were there supporting Ukraine all the way through the war. And uh, some of them were supporting Ukrainian political prisoners, basically prisoners of war captured by Russia in Crimea and also in, in, in other territories, helping and supporting them in prisons, you know, bringing them food. And it was like in the scale of whole Russia, it, it was probably quite little for Ukrainians to say that it was something that they really felt and saw. And uh, it's quite painful, but it's true. We don't see this massive or not even massive, but some visible support from the Russian civil society towards Ukraine. Of course, Russians are and Russian civil society is living in their own their own war, basically, that is a war by the Russian government against Russian journalists and Russian uh, civil society. They live in in their own prison, and it feels like they have they have their own war to fight. But for Ukrainians with uh, over fourteen thousand people killed, it doesn't justify that. Putin is threatening a war. Are Russians willing to fight it? This question is the title of an article published by Politico magazine last week. The story piqued my interest as it drew on interviews with locals in Moscow, 
public opinion data, and expert analysis to try and answer the complex question of how Russians feel about the prospect of an all-out war with Ukraine. To find out more about what it was like reporting this story, I reached out to the author, Moscow-based freelance journalist Uliana Pavlova. As a Ukrainian-Russian journalist, it actually was always very important to me to explain the complexities about how Russians, uh, Russian-Ukrainians feel about this conflict because it is actually a multi-layered complex thing. And the questions of identity in this post-Soviet space were always very interesting to me. And I felt like this piece of a narrative was missing a lot of times in the Western media because we tend to speak about, you know, the Russia-Ukraine conflict in terms of how many troops are there and just in terms of big geopolitical stuff. And I am very, you know, I'm a journalist. I'm very immersed in the news cycle here. A lot of my friends are journalists. I work for multiple outlets. And I think the conversation I've been having in the past months or so is like, will Russia invade Ukraine? Will Russia invade Ukraine? And then, you know, I have to like my regular normal friends in Russia who are not journalists and they're like, what war? So to me, it feels like, you know, we live in this parallel worlds and I wanted to show that in my article a little bit because the last weekend of the prolonged New Year's holidays was also a weekend before this, you know, massive talks between Russia and the United States, Russia and NATO, where they were going to talk about Russia-Ukraine crisis. And here in Moscow, it really doesn't feel like people are living under a threat of a looming war. So I just wanted to do a story about what people think. And of course, it is always very complex to do those pieces because, you know, there's different things layered on top of each other. You wrote that on top of the fact that Russia is, you know, massing troops near the border with Ukraine, Russian state television has been laying the groundwork for war. What did you mean by that? And do you think there's been a shift in rhetoric about Ukraine and or NATO, given, you know, the big talks that went on last week? Do you think there's been a shift in rhetoric in recent months or is state television recycling narratives that are already familiar to Russians? I think the narrative on the Russian state TV has definitely been more militarized in the recent months. I guess that could send off an alarm in many people's heads. But at the same time, I think it's also important to remember that this has been going on since 2014. So in a sense, that narrative has been building over the past few years. But now we just hear more and more about the Ukraine crisis again. So in that sense, I think it has been effective because if you look at the polling with the Levada Center, it actually shows that majority of Russians blame NATO and the United States uh, for the crisis in Ukraine. And their perception of it is very much Ukraine is caught between two fires between NATO and Russia. Ukraine is very frustrated with Russia is because Russians, the way Russians think, and I think it showed through the box pops I did and the polling, it's basically because, you know, the Ukraine-Russia crisis, the way they look at it, it's like a big geopolitical game. And it's being decided by, you know, these people who have power and they don't really feel like it applies to them directly. 
And I think that's where this disconnect comes from. People kind of think of this in terms of geopolitics. It's sort of a game that's being played out on the world stage between Russia and NATO. Ukraine is caught in the middle. Do you think this gives us reason to believe that the narratives that are being pushed on state television and by Russian officials that they're convincing to the population? I think in a sense, yes. And I, I think I also mentioned this in a piece. When you look at the polling, the opinions and attitudes Russian people have toward Ukrainians are actually very, very positive, but they're highly negative when it comes to the Ukrainian government. And Russians just prefer to think of this conflict as NATO's war against Russia. And that's very much similar to what is shown on the state television. NATO is just using Ukraine to get closer to Russia, put missiles on the border, etc. And I think in that sense, that's how Russians view this conflict. When you look at the Russian state television, it was very successful in conveying this idea to the public. As we can see from the polling, they like to think of NATO as an aggressor rather than Russia, which uh, paints a little bit of a different picture. In that case, if we're looking at this latest round of diplomatic talks that have gone on, I mean, Russian officials seem to have come out of it with the conclusion that like this might not go anywhere. These really fell flat. It wasn't what they expected. Do people see it as a positive thing that these negotiations are happening or are they closer to the opinion that we sometimes hear from Western experts that this is all sort of a pretext for some sort of escalation, right? Like Russia comes to the table with these demands that they know the West is going to reject. And then that gives them a pretext for stepping things up militarily on the ground. I think ultimately there's two ways to look at this. On one hand, you can say, well, Russia says diplomacy failed us. We didn't get what we wanted. And this could be used as a pretext for, you know, further escalation of conflict. But on the other hand, you can look at this as Russia got what it wanted in a sense, like they brought NATO to the table. They brought the United States to the table. They voiced their frustrations, frustrations they had for quite some time. You know, this is not anything new. Putin has been saying this for quite a while. You know, NATO's expansion eastward, it's not like it just happened overnight. So if you look at this from this perspective, you can say that ultimately Putin, in a way, got what he wanted because now this is a point of conversation. But whether or not Putin is bluffing is another question, and that's not really what I tried to talk about in my article. And I think people who are just regular Russians, I don't think anyone wants a war with Ukraine at this point. People are also exhausted of, you know, having this conflict somewhere on the background for, you know, what is what has been like eight years. And so I think they don't want the war, but at the same time, they feel like it's out of their hands. And it is also a completely separate question whether public opinion on the matter really matters and how much sway it has in the decision-making process. But there have been several reports. Medusa had an investigation about Russian mercenaries getting recruited to Rostov and Ukraine. So there could be things going on in the background that regular Russians don't really know about or follow that closely. But I don't think anyone really expects a full-blown war at this moment. Since this conflict has dragged on, you know, for, for eight years, is this something that people in Russia 
follow closely. Obviously, it's back on people's radar now that you have all these international negotiations. But I mean, the last time I was in Russia was in, in 2019. It wasn't a particularly hot point in the war. There wasn't diplomatic negotiations going on. What was going on in Ukraine didn't seem to be on people's radar. Like that was the impression that mm-hmm. I got. So, so how, do you, how do you see it or what, what's been your experience? Like when you talk to people mm-hmm. about the war, is it something that's, like you said, simmering in the background or is it something that people have sort of forgotten about? It's definitely simmering in the background, I think. And I think people are very split in their opinions on whether or not the war would actually take place. But at the same time, I think it's very different from how it felt in 2014. I was actually in Russia in the summer of 2014, and I remember the downing of the plane, and there was like a sense of shock. And now I think people kind of exhausted their emotional and mental capacity to worry about possibly another war with Ukraine. I mean, you could say the same about COVID, like there's this new Omicron strain and people are getting sick, but the way it feels is different from how it felt in April 2020. I spoke to experts on this and as they said, they don't expect there will be a rally around the flag like it happened when Russia annexed Crimea. It's just this time it feels differently. And, you know, you could argue that Crimea was something that took a very special place in Russian imagination. And now, you know, Donbass, people don't really feel that strongly about Donbass. And in a sense, Russia already has a strong presence there. So if you look at the polling, people don't even think Donbass should be a part of Russia, where when Russia annexed Crimea, Putin's approval ratings surged to 80%. So I think there's also an important difference in these two places and how Russians view them. You've touched on a really common thing we hear when we talk about 2014 to compare to what's happening now. Like you'll hear a lot of experts say like there is no second Crimea. And so there, there's sort of a sense among analysts that any another military incursion into Ukraine wouldn't necessarily help Putin domestically and that the Russian authorities would have to try and sell this to the population. That sort of begs two questions, one being, do you think they would be able to sell it and drum up some extent of popular support if there were to be an escalation of the war? And then the second question would be, do you think popular sentiment could actually act as a restraining factor here and give the authorities some impetus to maybe draw down? It's hard to say whether or not they could sell it to the Russian populace, because as I said, Russians, I think, view Ukrainians quite positively. And there's, I think there's a sense of loss that, you know, our relations have soared so much in the past eight years. But at the same time, you know, there's this whole of this theory out there that if Russia can sell a story that, you know, they're not an aggressor and it's the Russian speaking population in Donbass that is being threatened, then maybe that would justify, you know, a response from Russia. But when it comes to the public opinion, I really, it's really hard to tell because I think generally people, even though people don't want a war, they agree with the line that Putin has been saying and that the Russian state TV has been saying. And 
I think for Vladimir Putin, it is in his mind, he's restoring some sort of historical injustice that happened years and years ago. And you could say that the way he feels about the collapse of the USSR pretty much drives his foreign policy and how he talks about Ukraine, about NATO. So I think there is probably some sense of we must protect the Russian-speaking population and is important. But I don't know if that would be enough for people to convince people that there has to be a full-blown war because, you know, I think Russian state TV also, when the Ukraine crisis just happened, I think they, some of their news media reports were just very, like everyone remembers that story about a three-year-old or four-year-old boy who has been, you know, hung on the cross. It was a totally fake story. So I think there's also a sense that people know the story and they know it's false. So I don't know if the Russian state TV tried to pull anything like this, if people would buy it necessarily, because we've been there before and it has been disputed very widely. The other thing I wanted to bring up on top of the prospect of a full-blown war and like people actually having to go to war and fight this war, if, you know, Russia is to undertake any kind of military escalation, the West has made it very clear that their main response is going to be economic sanctions and trying to hit Russia in its wallet, so to speak. Do you have a sense of how people feel about, you know, the potential economic fallout from this? Because when you look at opinion polling in Russia, like economic concerns are really what people are most worried about right now in terms of like inflation, cost of living, things like that. I think it's actually a very important point to make because if you look at the ruble tanked this week, People can actually already feel the consequences of these talks on their wallets. So I think there is th this very real question. Russians obviously have been exhausted with the sanctions. The salaries we had before 2014 and what you can buy on a ruble now is very, very different. Overall, I think if economic sanctions mean that there will be more economic suffering. I don't think Russians would support an invasion of Ukraine. But at the same time, I think those emotions that people feel are not necessarily rational a lot of times. No one wanted sanctions on Russia, but people also welcomed the referendum in Crimea. For them, it wasn't, it wasn't an annexation. It was more like a reunion of Crimea with Russia. But at the same time, you know, I think this time around, it will be very, very different. Yeah, I was actually, the first time I went to Russia was in 2015. It was like literally a year after the annexation. And it was, it was, I mean, it was very striking for me because I'd been reading about it in the news. And then you go to Russia and they're like issuing one year anniversary reunification commemoration coins yeah. and like people like support for Putin was very, very high. But yeah, I mean, I have the sense that it won't really be the same this time around. I read an article recently that Russian journalists Andrei Soldatov and Irina Borogan wrote for SIPA about, you know, the prospect of an all-out war with Ukraine. And they were saying that it hasn't provoked the same degree of pushback from Russian liberals or like the Russian intelligentsia, if you will as, you know, mm -hmm. was seen after the annexation in 2014. And they 
attributed this to Russian civil society having lost touch with Ukrainian civil society over the past seven or eight years of of this conflict. Do you have a, a sense of why we're not seeing more outspoken pushback from, you know, segments of Russian society that were very much against the annexation of Crimea back in 2014? I mean, I, I don't know. I can only, you know, speak of my general impressions, but I think overall, it's just quite different now. You know, Navalny is in jail. A lot of people who, you know, would attribute themselves to Russian liberal society or opposition have left the country. And I think Russia itself has experienced a very severe crackdown on opposition and an independent media over this past year. As you know, you know, Medusa was named a foreign agent. To a point, I think just the makeup of Russian liberal society and the way they talk about issues is just very different right now. We're in a different context. And I think the other part of this is over the past eight years, I think there have been a lot of animosity that has been interpreted differently, you know, aside from normal, you know, Ukrainian society. There are also people who are quite aggressive about anything Russia related. And I think Ukraine is kind of going through this process of where they try to assert their independence and their own history, their own culture, their own heritage. And for some, it means totally denying or rejecting the part that Russia role played in it. And I think it's just like there wasn't that much animosity eight years ago between Russia and Ukraine. There have been simmering tensions, you know, always. I even remember myself growing up, I would spend every summer in Ukraine and my family's from Western Ukraine, so they speak Ukrainian there. And I know Ukrainian, I can understand it and I can communicate in it, but I would sometimes also talk in Russian because I knew everyone could understand me. And, you know, sometimes kids would call me like, Maskaika, Maskaika. And I didn't really like know what it meant, but I also kind of knew what it meant. You know, like no one explained it to me, but I just like instinctively knew that meant that I'm Russian. So I think there have been, you know, the simmering tensions that have been on the background this whole time. 2014 just really, really changed how people in Ukraine view Russia. It is sad to think about because I don't think you can just turn back and come back from something like this and go back to the way things were. Now, I think people just... I don't know. I think they're just checked out. You've been listening to The Naked Pravda, an English language podcast from Medusa. If you value Medusa's reporting, please make a donation at support.medusa.io slash en, or you can leave out that last bit if you'd like to see it in Russian. You can go there to help us sustain our work. Recurring pledges help more, but uh, we'll take whatever you can spare. Thank you for listening and come back soon. Mm-hmm.